AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound. So you hear studio sound on the road. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving. Hello everyone and welcome to the view from Laura's window. A podcast where life is explored through positive Christian thoughts. And when I say window, I'm referring to the view or perspective of life and how we think, act, and react. Everyone has a window, and yes, every window has a different view. But sometimes our view may not always be clear, and sometimes it may not always be focused. But I hope through this podcast, in a positive Christian mindset, you will have a much better perspective. So open up your windows, your hearts, and your thoughts to the encouraging view from Laura's perspective. Today is Tuesday all day long, and yes, it is Tuesday's Talk Day. Is it Tuesday's Talks, Tuesday's Talk, Tuesday Talks, Tuesday's Talks, whichever it is, I'll figure it out. Anyway, it is a place where we can get up close and personal with each other in a no-judgment zone and talk about all the stuff, the stuff that hinders our view as well as ways to clear the view for a more focused perspective. Our guests will share their encouraging stories, thoughts, and ideas for us as the listener to resonate with. And yes, faith-based conversations are encouraged because a life with faith is a life with purpose. So let's get on with a more clear perspective. Well, welcome back, everyone, to today's Tuesday's talk, and um, this will be um, another episode, part two, with Dr. Michelle Bankson. I had her on last week when we did part one, where we talked about depression. Today will be the conclusion of that discussion, and if you have not had a chance to listen in on that episode, I really encourage you to go back and take a listen to that, because depression is very important. And I believe my my thoughts are that depression is for everyone it, it, to be discussed. It is not, in my opinion, to just be discussed by those who have depression. I think it should also be discussed by those who don't have depression because I feel depression, it really affects everyone. So I welcome back Dr. Michelle Bankson, and uh, I hope you enjoy part two of this episode. 
Well, hey, everyone. Welcome back. And I do not want to delay any longer in bringing on today's guest, Dr. Michelle Bankson. She is an international speaker and the author of three best-selling award-winning books, Hope Prevails, Insights from a Doctor's Personal Journey Through Depression, Hope Prevails, Bible Studies, and Breaking Anxiety's Grip, How to Reclaim the Peace God Promises. She has been a neuropsychologist in private practice for more than 20 years, where she evaluated, diagnosed, and treated children and adults with a variety of medical and mental disorders. This doctor knows pain and despair firsthand and combines her professional expertise and personal experience with her faith to address her patients' issues, both for those who suffer and those who care for them. Using sound, practical tools, she affirms worth and encourages faith. Dr. Bankson offers as a key to unlock joy and relief, even in the middle of the storm. She and her husband of 30 years have two young adult sons and reside in Greenville, South Carolina. She blogs regularly on the um, show, the award-winning podcast, Your Hope Field Perspective with Dr. Michelle Bankson. And you can find that on all of your uh, podcast shows. Um, And uh, I would suggest go to Apple Podcast. You'll find it there. And um, she also... Um, is on all the various websites. You can find her on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, Twitter, and uh, she has a blog and a website, drmichellebankson.com. So I want to bring her on right now. We're going to talk about her story, her struggle with depression, as well as a more open view of what depression really is and how to cope. So, here we go. Hi. Hello, how are you? Good. Thanks for coming back on. I I um, have to bring you back on to do a part two to finish this discussion. And oh, I'm happy to do it. Um, the last thing that we were talking about was you had mentioned the signs of depression. We're talking about that and some of the things that... Uh, symptoms and signs that may be overlooked. So the next question I want to get to is what do you think are the five most important things in a person that a person suffering with depression should remember? Like things to focus on. First of all, I think it's really important to keep in mind that you're not alone. When people go through depression, it's real easy to begin to believe that you're the only person who has ever gone through this and that nobody understands. And that's really a lie that we believe, but believing that lie just perpetuates the depression. So know that you're not alone. And second of all, keep in mind that there is no shame in struggling with depression. Sometimes because of the stigma that's out there because of the people who don't understand the condition, we will tend to feel some shame for experiencing this, especially as Christians, because the church, unfortunately, has sometimes either purposely or inadvertently sent the message that you're not praying enough, you've got unconfessed sin, you're not a good enough Christian. I mean, all these things. 
But that is not true. And the reason I know it's not true is because I can look back in scripture and tell you countless numbers of individuals who also struggled with depression. David was one. Even when we read in the Psalms, it gives me spiritual whiplash, I think, because sometimes it's like he's saying, oh, God, you're so great. You're so wonderful. And then in the next sentence, he's like, why so downcast? Oh, my soul. So I'm grateful that God put those examples in scripture so that we could see, first of all, we're not alone. Second of all, God didn't love them any less because they struggled and he doesn't love us any less. And scripture says, there's therefore now no condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus. So God's not condemning anyone for struggling with depression. So those are the first couple things. But another thing to keep in mind is that depression is a medical condition, just like diabetes, heart disease, asthma, allergies. And we don't think badly about anyone who's got allergies or asthma. And so we need to be real careful to also not look down on people who might be struggling with signs and symptoms of depression, because that's also a medical condition. Now, some would say, Dr. Bankson, but isn't it really a mental health condition? Well, yes, it is, because it originates in our brain, Mm -hmm. but our brain is our biggest organ, bigger than our heart and our lungs and our kidneys. And so by virtue of the fact that our brain is an organ, it is also a medical condition. But what I would also say is that there is hope. You might be in the deepest, darkest pit right now, but as someone who has both treated thousands of people struggling with depression, but someone who's also gone through it herself, I can tell you there is hope and you don't have to stay in that pit. There is help, hope, and healing available. And there is no shame in asking for help. And just like when our children are learning a new skill, they're learning addition or subtraction, or they're learning to tie their shoes. There's no shame when they say, mommy, will you help me? There's no shame in asking for help with depression either. I'm glad you said that because that was one of the last things I wanted to do. I didn't want to ask for help. Um, And I'm glad you mentioned earlier that it was a real illness because um, why do you think that there is such a stigma about seeking help for depression compared to the physical illness? I think in part because it has been terribly misunderstood and those who have not gone through depression don't know what it feels like, don't know where it comes from, and they don't know how to respond. And even when they're trying to be encouraging, they will say things that inadvertently shame the person who is suffering. They will say things like, well, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps or think yourself into a better day. Or just be happy. Or just be happy. Or what do you have to be depressed about? Yes. As if it's a conscious decision that we're making to be depressed. And so I don't want to shame the people who say those things because really they're speaking out of a lack of experience. And I don't understand what it's like to have a, a limb amputated. So I can't adequately speak to someone who's had that experience. 
but I know my personality and I would want to be encouraging. And sometimes when we're trying to encourage others, we end up discouraging and shaming them. And that was part of the reason, Laura, why if, if you bought the book, there's a link at the end of the book for a free book on my website, which is how to help a depressed loved one. I ran over word count on my book and my publisher said, you've got to cut 10,000 words. And so that part of the book got cut, but it's so important to me that people know how to come alongside those who are struggling with depression. I'm married to a wonderful husband, but he's never experienced depression. He doesn't know what it's like. And when I was going through it, he didn't know how to respond. That's not his fault. Right. But at the same time, I want to encourage and give support to those who want to support those who are struggling. And so that's why I've provided that book as a free book on my website, because it's so important to me that we circle around those who are struggling and link arms with them, hold hands with them, even just sit with them. You know, so often people are quick to want to say something to make things better. You can't say anything that's going to make someone's depression better, but you can say things that are supportive, like, I love you. This doesn't change my opinion of you. I'm so sorry that you're having to go through this. We'll get through this together. Or how can I help? So there are good things to say, and then there are really bad things to say, like, what do you have to be depressed about? Or somebody's got it worse than you, those comments, while they might come from a good intent, end up just making the situation yes. worse. I agree. And I love the story of Job in the Bible because Job did everything right. He was a God, he was a man after God's own heart. And God talked about him being blameless. And yet he had all these terrible things happen, and then he fell into a pit of depression. But the reason why I like the story is because it gives a good example of how to come alongside. His friends showed up and sat with him for a week saying nothing to just show their support, and that was a good thing. The friends didn't get into trouble until they started telling Job why they thought he was suffering and what he should be doing about it. And that got him in a heap of trouble. And I think we can use that as an example. When we've got loved ones who are depressed, they don't need us to have the solution. They don't need us to fix them. There's nothing to fix. There is something that deserves help, hope, and healing. But that's really God's job. So the best lesson for us is to come alongside be supportive, be present with your loved one, but don't feel like you have to have all the answers. I, I appreciate that um, because I feel that, could you like just talk for a minute on um, the person that is not dealing with it? Um, I'm sure that they don't understand it and they don't know what to say and they don't know what to do. So sometimes they're just quiet and that makes, that can make the person that's going through the struggle feel like they don't care. Is there something um, that is helpful 
for that person to be able to, is there ways that they can say things and talk about it and bring it up without um, getting too deep into the issue if they don't want to discuss it? Yeah, I think it's it's always fair to approach the person that you're concerned about and say, I've noticed you haven't seemed like yourself lately. Are you okay? And and open the door without judgment, without criticism, without pointing out all the faults of what they're not doing that you think they should be doing. But approach it from a place of concern. I'm really concerned about you. I love you. And I've just noticed lately you seem more tired than usual. You seem like it's harder for you to make decisions or whatever it is that you're noticing. And come at it from a place of compassion and ask, how can I help? Now, sometimes when you ask those questions, you're still going to be met with, no, I'm fine. Or nothing's wrong. Or you can't do anything. And you can accept that, but you can still be present. And it's fair to say, if you've never experienced depression yourself, it's fair to say, I don't know what to say to help, but I want to walk through this with you. It's better to say, I don't know what to say, than to say things that might be harmful or hurtful or degrading. But what I would encourage you to do is keep trying. When we're depressed, we have a tendency to push others away. Definitely. For a lot of reasons. Um, Some is because we're embarrassed. Some is because we don't think other people will understand Sometimes it's because we don't have enough energy. But if you will just gently and consistently be present in that person's life, they'll remember that. And at some point, I bet that they will open up. It's just important that we not shame the person who's struggling. It's not their fault. I can tell you, as a doctor and as someone who's gone through it, nobody would choose to be depressed. Nobody. Amen to that. But the person who's depressed doesn't always know what to do. If they've never experienced it before, and even if they have, we're looking at the world through a distorted lens, and we're not always looking at things as objectively and logically and with sound judgment. And so what we need is for people to be willing to encourage and support and just be present. Thank you for sharing that. Um, When I read the statistics in your book, I was surprised. There are like more than 18.8 million adults who suffer from depression and 350 million globally. And 9 million of those, you said, each year are women which is twice as many as the men. How is it that this subject isn't even talked about much? And where can those who are depressed find God in all this? Does God even know or see our pain? I think it's really difficult because there's so much shame associated with it. But what I learned in addressing the spiritual side of depression is that a lot of times we start to believe lies in our head. In fact, I'll give you a good example. When I was so deathly ill and then became so deeply depressed, I remember doing all the things that I had told my patients to do. And while they helped, they didn't take the depression away. And so 
I remember thinking, well, I must just be joy immune because I'd look around at all these other people and they seemed so joyful and so full of life. And I was doing what I thought all the right things were and it wasn't working. And so I started to believe the lie that I was joy immune. And one day after I verbalized that, again, I've never heard God's voice, but it was like a whisper in my head or in my heart. And it was, it was, that's not what my word says. And I was like, what? And then God brought the verse to mind that I had read before. And that was the verse, though weeping may last for a night, my joy comes in the morning. And I thought, well, then if you bring the joy, it's not, it's not up to me to try to conjure it up. And Jesus said, I have come to give you joy that your joy might be full. Well, if Jesus does that, then I'm not joy immune. And so I started realizing then I had been believing lies like I was joy immune, which was not consistent with God's word. And the more of those lies that we believe, the more our enemy gets us into the vice grip and the easier it is to get us to go down that path into depression. People will believe, for example, well, I must just not be important enough or good enough or worthy enough. Well, then we have to look at scripture and say, is that what scripture says? And scripture basically says, if you were the only person on this planet, Jesus still would have died for you. And our worth and our value is we determine worth or value by the price that we're willing to pay for something. Whether it's a meal in a restaurant or a car or a house, we determine what the worth is by what we pay for it. Well, Jesus determined our worth by paying the price of his life. He died for us. So he determined we are worthy. So what I realized is we were, I was believing so many lies and that was just making it easier to get deeper and deeper and deeper into the pit of depression. And you asked, where is God in all of this? And does he see us? Does he care? And the answer is yes. His scripture says God is close to the brokenhearted and rescues the crushed in spirit. But when we're depressed, it's so easy to want to block out other influences. We want to push people away. We even want to push God away. Sometimes we'll get mad at God and we will pull away from him. And what I've learned is that God is always there, always with us, always willing to help, but he's not always going to chase after us. If we turn the other direction and walk away, he's staying right there. He's waiting for us to come back. But we've got to make that decision that we're willing to seek after him. And as soon as we do, he's there to wrap us in a big old daddy hug and say, I love you. I'm still here and we're going to get through this together. But the enemy would like us to believe God's not with you anymore. He doesn't love you. He loves you less now because you've been through depression. He's mad at you. And all of those, Laura, are lies. And they're lies that are so easy to believe when we're looking through a depressive lens. Well, I'm glad you said that because reading your book, you know, it opened my eyes to realize 
last year how many lies as you call the enemy how many lies that he was telling me that i did i did believe and i didn't recognize it i didn't recognize it being the enemy i thought it was the depression right. i i thought that it was my health issues i thought it was sometimes just in my head and now looking back i do see where Satan was working on me and he still is. He still does. Um, so I appreciated reading that in your book. Thank you for bringing that up. What's so important for your listeners to realize is that our emotions, they're strong and they're really compelling, but our thoughts impact our emotions and our emotions are really the outward manifestation of the thoughts we're believing. So if I'm believing today's a good day, it's going to be awesome. I'm going to have a great time. That's going to follow with, I'm going to be in a good mood, right? But if I'm believing things like I'm no good, people are better than me. Nobody understands those thoughts are going to bring about feelings that circle back and justify what I'm thinking. So when we start having these moods, we need to step back and go, what am I thinking about? And what am I believing? And then we have to go a step further and go, and is what I'm believing consistent with what God says? Because if it's not, I'm believing a lie. Right. Thank you. Um, I also love how with each chapter in your book, you end with the three Ps. <laughs> you, your prescription, your prayer, and your playlist. Can you talk about this and why do you think that's so important that you added that in there? I added the prayers, first of all, because when I was depressed, I found it difficult to know what to pray. And so I knew that whoever was reading my book, if they were someone who was going through depression, they might be experiencing the same thing. And sometimes, it not only helps to know that people are praying for us, that's really nice, but sometimes it helps even more to hear their prayer for us. And so I was praying for my reader as I was writing the book, but I felt like it was really important to pray for them at the end of each chapter so that even if they found it difficult to pray, that they knew someone else was praying and it would give them words to pray if they didn't know what to say. And the prescription, I felt like as a doctor, that's what I do. I give people <laughs> prescriptions, right? But I found that I had to do the work for myself in order to get better. And so the prescription is really just micro bursts of suggestions of things that you as the reader can do that will actually make a difference to help get you out of this depressive cycle. Not anything that's really difficult, because I know if you're reading the book, chances are you're struggling with depression and you may not have enough energy to brush your teeth or take your vitamins. So I didn't want it really difficult, but I wanted the reader to participate in their own healing process. And then the playlist, mm -hmm. that actually started because when I was so deathly ill and then falling into that pit of depression... I didn't feel like praising God at all. I was mad. I was like, here I am, the doctor, and you didn't keep me from this, and you're not helping me get better. I mean, I was just being honest. I got mad at God. 
And so I didn't feel like praising God. But one day a friend texted me. She knew I was really sick. And after church, she texted me and said, we sang this song in church and it made me think of you. I want you to listen to it. And it was the song by Plum, I Need You Now. And as I listened to it, I just started weeping. And then I started singing along with it. And as I started singing along with it, I could tell something was happening in my heart. And then I started listening to more and more praise and worship music to the point where I had praise and worship music playing 24-7 in my bedroom where I was on bed rest and hooked up to IVs. And even when I didn't feel like praying praise to God, I would sing. And what I realized is that helped my mood. And I think it's for two reasons. One is because God says he inhabits the praises of his people. So when we will praise through praise and worship music or through prayer, God's right there. He's sitting right there with you. But the second reason I thought it was so important to include the playlist and to have that praise and worship music playing in my bedroom is because the enemy hates it when we praise God. And if we will praise God, the enemy will flee. And as I became aware that I was in a spiritual battle as much as I was a physical and a mental and emotional battle, I wanted to do whatever I could to make that turkey leave. And so I decided that if praise and worship music helped me that much, I wanted to suggest it to my readers. And that's one of the things people have commented most about. If people read my Amazon reviews, people are always saying two things. One is the books are written not just as a doctor, but as someone who gets it and that they love the playlist. So now all my books have playlists at the end of every chapter. That's awesome. <laughs> I really appreciated it when I was reading it because, you know, when you were talking about prayer, you know, sometimes before all this happened with me, I could just think things in my head. I could just, and I know God knows what I'm thinking. He knows yeah. what I'm going to think before I even think it. But, you know, growing up, I always thought prayer was bow your head, put your hands together, close your eyes. And as I got older, I realized that's not what prayer is. It's it's an actual conversation with your father. And you can do it with your eyes open. You can do it when you're driving and, yeah. and looking at the clouds. Um, but when I was going through that last year, I had no words for prayer. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know. All I could say was, God, you know what I need. Just give me what I need. I mean, I just was at a loss for words for prayer. So I really appreciated the prayer part in your book and the music because I'm a music lover. (laughs) And I was so depressed. I remember feeling a lot like you, like I don't have any words to pray. And there were days my prayers were literally help. That was all I could say. Or there were other days where my entire prayer was just Jesus. And so I knew that if I struggled that much to come up with the words when I was struggling with depression, that probably other people did too. Right. Um, You also say that even though depression is unique to each individual, there's always one common thread, and that is it's always emotionally painful. What can you say to those who may be looking for answers right now? And what should they know? And where can they get help? If you are struggling with depression right now, you're probably feeling the worst you will ever feel. Mm 
It is so devastating on all fronts. But the good news is, is that there's no way to turn but up. It's going to get better. You're experiencing the worst of the worst right now. And there's only better days ahead. Now, you might stumble and trip and you'll have a couple really good days. And then you'll stumble and trip and have a bad day. And then you'll have a couple good days. And what you'll notice is you'll start to have more good days than bad days. But you can help impact how quickly you get through this by your willingness to invest in the work. And we've talked about the work, Laura, both in the last episode and this one. And really what I mean by that is, for me, one of the things that I had to do because I realized I was believing so many lies is I realized I had to figure out what the truth was. What does God really say? And so as I was reading my Bible or as I was watching sermons online or listening to songs, scripture verses would come to mind and I would start to write them out on little post-it notes. The first one was that verse that I talked about, though weeping may last for a night, his joy comes in the morning. And every time I would see the verses, I would read them out loud three times. And the reason is because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so I had to get the scripture from my head to my heart. And as I would read it three times, it would become more and more a part of me. So then when the Holy Spirit would show me you're believing another lie, then I'd have to ask him to show me, okay, so what's the truth? If this is a lie, what is the truth? And now it's much more natural. Things like if I realize I'm starting to become fearful, then I can quote scripture back to me, you know, where God says, fear not for I am with you. Okay. I'm not alone. All of a sudden I'm not alone again. And that's a lie. I would believe I'm all alone. Nobody understands. No, God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. By the time this was all said and done, I had over a hundred post-it notes. They were on my IV and on my light switch and on my bathroom mirror and my dashboard of my car. I mean, my husband can tell you they were everywhere. But they made such a difference because I started uprooting the lies that I had believed for so long and replacing them with truth. And the more I replaced it with truth, the more joy began to come and depression started to leave. So is it, um, say for instance, like with me, because I can only relate to my situation, but when I was going through it and still do, Um, I did not want to turn to God, even though I knew it was the right thing. Um, Even though I knew he was there, it wasn't my first thing to want to do. I don't know why. I I have all the faith in the world that he's going to be there for me. But it was like everything was just taking over. And I just could not reach out to him like I thought I should have. So is it okay when you get to that point, is it okay to reach out to a therapist or a friend? Is there other ways of reaching out? Oh, absolutely. In fact, I would encourage you to reach out. The part of my story that we didn't talk about is that I had a couple of people who, remember this all started for me, the major depressive 
episode started when I was so deathly ill. And so I had a couple of people who were praying for me to get physically well. Mm -hmm. But in the process of being so sick, that's when the depression came on. And so I did reach out. And I also reached out to a therapist. And it's so helpful to find those few supportive people that you can trust. I don't recommend you tell everybody because not everybody's going to understand. Not everybody, even if they want to support, is in a place where they can support because we've all got our own issues going on. But absolutely. And I know it was people praying for me that helped soften my heart to turn back to God. I was mad at God. I was the doctor. What do you mean? You know, letting me come down with this, this deathly illness. And then getting depressed, I mean, you, you, I felt like God had stripped my career away from me and I had no value anymore. I look back now and realize that those, again, were lies that I was believing, but the enemy does that. When we go back to that verse that you mentioned before, John 10, 10, where the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, well, not only does he steal our joy, kill our peace, and want to destroy our identity, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy our joy Yeah, because he has none. So he doesn't want us to have it. He'll use any tactic he can to try to push us further and further away from God. But I absolutely would recommend if you're not sure who you can trust to pray for you, call a church, ask if they have a prayer line, Google prayer line. They're all over the place. And and that's a safe place to start is just asking people to pray for you. Okay. Thank you. Um, I want to recommend your book, and I will, but can you tell them what to expect from your book if they would get it and read it, and how would they benefit from it? If someone picks up either Hope Prevails or the Hope Prevails Bible Study, I think what they will see is that as they read the pages of the books, they'll realize that they've got a friend and a confidant who not just understands the biology and the science and the medical behind depression, but they'll understand they've got a friend who's been there, who understands, and who's on the other side extending a hand to say, here, hold my hand, and we'll get through this together. I do give prescriptions at the end of each chapter, but it's to encourage you so that you know what is a step that I can take today to move towards the other side. You'll have the prayers of someone who believes that God has better for you than where you are now. You just can't see it yet. And one of the things that you'll see at the very beginning of Hope Prevails is the letter to my depressed self. I wrote that as the introduction on the other side of depression, looking back to my depressed self, telling me what I would have needed to hear back then. And it's my hope that for the reader, you'll hear through that letter to my depressed self, there is help, hope, and healing available. And you're not on this journey alone. Well, I definitely will share your story. I will share your book. And while we're on the subject, where can we find you on social media? I know I will post all the links of where everybody can find you, but where would you like them most to go? If someone's really struggling with depression or anxiety, while you can find me on all the social media platforms, Instagram and Twitter and Pinterest and Facebook, you can find me 
all of those places. But if you're really struggling right now and you want hope and encouragement, look for my podcast, Your Hope-Filled Perspective. We've got eight episodes that we're going through right now to help people who are struggling with anxiety. And we have several episodes from the past year on overcoming depression. I'm definitely listening in on those (laughs) because um, not only is depression a part of my life, but I'm realizing I have a little bit of anxiety on things too. So, and I'm working on go hand in hand. Yes. So thank you so much for being a part of my podcast. I really appreciate all of your knowledge and sharing your story and sharing with everybody. I appreciate it. My pleasure. If anything I can do to help someone else who's where I was, it's my delight to do so. Thank you, Dr. Michelle. Thank you so much. I hope you come back. Have a good day. Thanks. Bye-bye. Well, this concludes our um, today's Tuesday's talk with Dr. Michelle Bankson, and I truly appreciate her coming on the past two weeks and sharing her story and her thoughts, not only as a doctor, but her personal story as she went through depression. And like I said before, if you have not listened to part one, please do go back and listen to that. And um, I appreciate all of Dr. Michelle's knowledge. She has a wealth of knowledge on this subject, and um, it's very important. So I hope you, I hope you were able to gain something from this week and last week's episode. And I want you to come back next week on Tuesday's talk, where I will have a guest. Her name is um, Kat Caldwell. She is a creative, and she wrote. Two novels, and I really like listening to her podcast. And um, I'm going to bring her on, and I'm hoping that it'll be fun and uplifting for next week. So until next time, I love you guys. <laughs>